from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, one verse, just verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. As we often pray, it is precious, it is preserved, it is perfect. And so please give us wisdom in looking at it today that you would prepare fertile ground to hear it and uh, guard my lips to not stray from your truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this brief time of preparation for the Lord's table, I want to follow up a bit on last Sunday's Great Commission Readiness Workshop. That was the third of our series this year, and we focused it on, as you perhaps saw in our little uh, uh, advertisement marketing sheet, uh, gospel diagrams. So a a diagram, broadly speaking, is a particular type of illustration, a simplified drawing, and the idea was for it to be simple, something we don't have to have great skill in. And in this case, a gospel diagram is a simplified drawing to illustrate the truths of the gospel. Diagram gospel, gospel diagram. As I reflected on the idea, and I have to admit, sometimes you get, well, I don't want to say this is a great idea I've got, but you know how it is. After you have the event, you get the good idea later. (laughs) So it's one of those Monday, Tuesday things. As I'm reflecting on the communion meditation, I'm like, oh yeah, right. First Corinthians 118, the cross is a diagram, right? Did we need to make it complex? But uh, so briefly today, uh, as you can see where I'm headed, I want to talk about the cross as the ultimate gospel diagram. And saying again our text here, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So let's think briefly on that word, the cross. Obviously, it's more than just two lines intersecting. That's not what Paul is explaining here. So it's not the mere diagram, it's not the mere ink on a page that conveys this image. Though, praise the Lord, we can use this very simple drawing to that end. Um, It is also, just by way of clarification, slightly amusing that in these early chapters of Joshua, the Pastor Kaiser's preaching through these weeks, it talks a lot about cross, right? The word C-R-O-S-S. But just to make sure we all, for the younger folks here, to cross over a river is different than the cross. So the same English word, those same letters, but a very different meaning in the New King James. To cross over or to go over is different than the cross that the Lord Jesus hung from, obviously. Uh, The word before us here in 1 Corinthians uh, is the Greek word staros. Literally, it's a stake or a pointed stick. Pointed, so it could be driven into the ground, and then a person punishingly, painfully hung from it. It was an instrument of punishment among the Greeks, the Romans, the Phoenicians. So the people of Jesus' day weren't uh, unique, weren't especially creative in their use of this method, but it was reserved for the worst criminals. But interestingly, and as we see in this passage here and in other usages of it that I'll share in a moment, uh, it is more than just the instrument of his death. So when we speak of the message of the cross, it's not just merely, oh, that he was crucified. That is not the sum of what is referred to here by Paul. Rather, it evokes all that Jesus did his perfect life, his atoning, his satisfactory death, and his triumphal resurrection. That is all embodied in, encompassed in the cross, as it's very simply referred to here. And again, something we can very simply diagram. So it's a symbol of all that Jesus was, is, did, is doing, and will continue to do on our behalf and for his glory. 
Also, let us note that the cross is not simply an isolated physical object. object. By that I mean just some mere little thing you can look at or somebody can have on a necklace around their neck. Our text says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So it's words that go along with that symbol that evokes and ties to, connects with all these aspects of his ministry. So yes, the cross was real. It's rooted in history. There's precedent for it. Other people were punished similarly. So the cross was very real, and it is tied to all manner of Christian doctrine, and that doctrine proclaims a message. So there are words, literally the word here, message is word. Uh, Logos has different senses in John 1 that we're familiar with, but here it's just saying the words that describe Jesus and all that he did, they tied to the cross are foolishness, etc. So let us not think that it's some isolated historical event or that it's some concept devoid of historical understanding or historical grounding. It's both, it's all of that together. <clears throat> but also it's not unique to um, Jesus's life and it's not like something that was invented by the gospel writers. For background, the cross is rooted in Old Testament theology where anyone hung on a tree was known to be accursed. This is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 21, cited for us in Galatians 3. So it's, again, not unique and not novel, but rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, also various messianic texts in the Old Testament speak of the great pain and suffering that was to be inflicted on he who is crucified. And for example there would be, of course, Isaiah 53, various Psalms, uh, I believe Psalm 22, uh, 31, 34, etc. So again, not something that comes out of thin air in the times of Jesus and for the gospel writers. Let me read just a few passages to round out this concept of the cross. So again, the cross being the embodiment of Jesus's ministry, the cross being a symbol that we see all around us, somewhat and often sadly vainly so, but something we can use, and as Paul does here, to communicate a very powerful message. So a few examples, Matthew 10, 38. He who does not take the cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. A variation on that same theme in Luke 9, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Galatians 6, 14. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Uh, Ephesians 2, 16. He, that is Christ, might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And Hebrews 12, 2. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And there's others we could share also. So, just to summarize, in our Christian thinking, the cross was an instrument of punishment that the innocent Jesus suffered. Also, again, it's more than that, right? It's more than just that pagan symbol of punishment, but it's also a symbol of his atoning blood, his saving power that extends to all of his people, as it's worded in our verse here, for us is the power of God. It also speaks to our union with him that leads to sanctification and our identity with him that often leads to persecution. Uh, there's another thing I wanted to cite here, tying in a little bit with a communion meditation I gave last time about abasement. 
Uh, I noted then that worldly people, right, are all about winning, coming out on top. I'm better than you. Sometimes you're using words and insults to convey that. So if the world was to pick a symbol, right, for their victorious religion, what would they pick? Would it be a cross? <laughs> would it be a symbol of punishment, extreme punishment? Uh, maybe it would be a crown or a scepter showing authority, which of course Jesus has, not that that's a wrong symbol for Christianity. Uh, maybe if it was a real sort of intellectual uh, uh, endeavor they were trying to advance, they'd uh, picture a scroll or a book and long robes for the teacher, right? Well, Jesus certainly is that noble teacher, that wiser than any other man teacher. So he's all of that and, but, and much more. But note that Jesus did not definitively conquer death as a king or as a teacher, right? Our atonement is not accomplished in his wise teachings or in his vanquishing the enemies of his day. Jesus did not remove the guilt of our sins by teaching us a better way and giving us a godly example. He did it at the cross. Hence, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but as to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul, and this is an important point, reminds us in Galatians 1, and of course in the context ties with Galatians chapter 6, that a gospel which does not mention the cross and does not focus on Christ's suffering is not the true gospel. And those who follow it are accursed. So, rightly, here by conclusion, the cross, thankfully, did figure in those diagrams we proposed to you last week. And so I'm not saying that we did the wrong thing last week, but let us just boil down to the essential details. <clears throat> the cross is fundamental, and it is certainly fundamental to this congregation, this church. I pray that you, always preaching to myself too, that I would meditate on the cross daily, not just when we're preparing to share our faith with neighbors or relatives or strangers. The cross was supremely countercultural in the first century, and it continues to be so now. Those who are perishing did and will scorn it. Yet the cross is for us, those who are chosen, elected by grace to salvation, it is for us the power of God. So come to it, ponder it, delight in it, and let us speak of it. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is a privilege to have this message, the same message that Paul shared that is timeless, timely. So please give us wisdom in understanding it and in communicating it and really living by it and cherishing it. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.